Chapter twenty four of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter twenty four. The Vicar of St. Jude's. Yes, the Vicar was at home. Sarah ushered Lady Penrith and Mr. Coverdale into the drawing-room and went to fetch her master, who kept them waiting some minutes before he came. A pallid, miserable creature, when he did appear, a man with careworn face and bent shoulders, and whose furtive glances which the parish priest had seen in many faces, whose meaning he knew all too well. He knew when he saw those shifty, down-looking eyes that he had had to deal with a difficult subject. He had never been able to do much good with any man who had that kind of look. He went straight to the object of their visit, after briefly introducing her himself. "'Lady Penrith is very anxious to see the invalid gentleman in your care,' he said. I hope you will make no difficulty about the matter. I regret that it is out of my power to gratify her ladyship's wish. The gentleman left me in the custody of a friend early this morning. Left you? Left this house after ten years of imprisonment? cried Sybil. I don't believe it. That remark is hardly civil on your ladyship's part. You have no right to use the word imprisonment in relation to a sufferer who was entrusted for his own comfort and safety to my care, nor have you any right to doubt my assertion. The words were firm, but the voice was tremulous, and the manner was as bad as it could be. How and why was this inmate of the vicarage removed, Mr. Carpew? asked Coverdale. I really cannot gratify your curiosity so far as to say why he was removed. That is the business of the friend who removed him. All I can tell you is how he left this house, in a fly, ordered from Ardliston. My responsibility ceased from the moment he crossed my threshold." "'Your responsibility before God will never cease,' exclaimed Sibyl passionately. "'You have played a sordid and wicked part. "'You have lent yourself to the scheme of a villain. "'The friend you talk of, the friend, oh, what a friend he is, "'is Hubert Urquhart, who wove a web of treachery round Brandon Mountfort's life.' "'Lady Penrith, pray, pray be calm,' pleaded Coverdale. "'I cannot, I cannot be calm when I see to what a cruel plot this man has lent himself. "'But I don't believe his victim has been removed. "'He is still under this roof, and we are not to be put off with lies.' "'Lady Penrith.' You seem to take pleasure in insulting me. Perhaps you would like to see the empty rooms. They are very untidy. 
but their emptiness may remove your doubts yes let me see the rooms his prison of all these years the vicar took no further notice of the obnoxious word but quietly led the way from the drawing-room to the long dark passage which went between the dining-room and the kitchen to the east end of the vicarage and there ended in an ascent of three steps and a baize-covered door the vicar opened this door and ushered his visitors into an empty room a sitting-room sparsely furnished like the rest of the house but by no means a bad room light enough and airy enough with a french window opening into the walled garden of which gertrude carpew had spoken a door opened into an adjoining bedroom where the iron bedstead and shabby furniture were about on a level with the accommodation of a third-rate lodging at a popular watering-place a charwoman was busy cleaning up litter and sweeping out corners there were a few books on a chiffonier and a pile of old newspapers on a side table sibyl took up the books one after another and examined them they all belonged to the vicar and most of them had his name written in them shakespeare macaulay byron thackeray pope milton that milton the pope and the macaulay were college prizes but the calf bindings were shabby with much usage there are two more rooms above if you would like to see them said the vicar yes i should like to see them answered sibyl curtly they are quite empty they have never been furnished but if it gratifies you a shrug of the bent shoulders finished the sentence and mr carpew led the way by a narrow essentially modern staircase to the floor above which was as blank and bare as he had asserted he is gone you see he said how do we know that you have not hidden him in some other part of your house you are at liberty to examine my house from cellar to garret no no interposed coverdale we have no wish to doubt your word vicar i have not nor am i sure has lady penrith although she spoke hastily just now in her disappointment you must admit that it is a strange and perplexing fact after inhabiting this house for ten years who says he was here that long exclaimed mr carpew i say so answered sibyl resolutely i say that he was brought to this house during the storm that wrecked the mary jane fis fishing smack the morning after my foster sister's murder he was brought here by your old pupil herbert urquhart and he has been spirited away by the same man to prevent my seeing him he has been robbed of liberty perhaps of reason by that man for his own ends my dear lady penrith consider how wild and improbable these charges are answer me one question did mr urquhart bring you your lodger or did he not i cannot answer any such question 
your ladyship must understand that there are many cases in which the friends of an afflicted person desires the utmost secrecy mr carpew are you a clergyman of the church of england or the keeper of a lunatic asylum demanded john coverdale with a severity which shook the vicar's shattered nerves if the gentleman whom you kept shut up in these rooms was out of his mind you were guilty of a breach of the law in keeping him here and the fact ought to be brought before your bishop you are in a great hurry to misjudge one of your own cloth mr coverdale a man may be helpless and afflicted without being a lunatic the person who occupied these rooms was not a lunatic but he was in more need of care and privacy than many lunatics he was an epileptic patient said sibyl white to the lips with anger a patient for whom open air and movement change of climate and scene were essential a man who should have been roaming the sea in a yacht or wandering amidst wild beautiful scenes free and unharassed to keep him in this squalid hole looking at the square shabby parlour with one eye accustomed to the lofty spaciousness of colander castle and ellerslie house to keep him in such rooms of th as these in that dreary sunless garden was to murder body and soul and you sir are guilty of murder you who call yourself a clergyman of the church of england but your bishop shall know of your infamous conduct you shall be punished dear lady penrith for god's sake be calm remonstrated coverdale strongly moved by her passionate outburst she flung herself sobbing upon his shoulder instinctively clinging to him to save herself from falling to the ground he could feel the stormy beating of her heart as his arm supported her an arm held as king arthur might have held his in a similar crisis never be before had this woman his ideal among all women been so near his heart so near and yet worlds away alas how fondly she must have loved that unhappy man how much that old story meant in her life pray be calm he repeated we have no right to jump at conclusions after all you may be mistaken as to the person who occupied these rooms i have no doubt with a propitiatory glance at the vicar mr carpew will be good enough to tell us the name of his charge and where he has gone and with whom and then you will be satisfied and at ease again i decline to tell you anything or to answer any question put to me by you mr coverdale i have been attacked in the most outrageous manner in my own house this is a free country and i have done nothing in violation of the law this wretched living was given to me by the late earl so i suppose i must endure any amount of contumely from lady penrith 
but I will not submit to insult from you. I understand, then, that you positively decline to satisfy Lady Penrith's doubts by giving her the fullest information in your power about the, the person so lately under your care? asked Coverdale. I most distinctly refuse to be interrogated about my private and domestic life, even by Lady Penrith, replied the, do the vicar doggedly. In that case, we must take stronger measures. Come, Lady Penrith, we are only wasting time here. I wish you good day, vicar. The vicar's sullen reply was only half audible. He led the way back to the hall, and Lady Penrith returned to her carriage, attended by John Coverdale. "'There can be no doubt,' she said as they drove off. "'If I had doubted before, I am certain of the fact now. They have smuggled him away between them to some still more wretched hiding-place. Hubert Urquhart and that man stop cried mr coverdale to the coachman there is someone running after the carriage a young lady she came out of that field the horses were pulled up about a hundred yards behind the field gate and gertrude carpew ran to the carriage door i have been watching for you ever so long lady penrith she said i suppose it's awfully wicked for a girl to hate her father but I can't help hating mine for the cruel trick he has played upon you after what happened yesterday afternoon. He swore it was all arranged before you came to the vicarage, that it was settled for the poor gentleman to leave us. But if it was, Ma knew nothing about it. My dear Miss Carpew, pray tell me exactly, as clearly as you can, all that happened since I saw you. Lady Penrith said eagerly, and then, turning to Coverdale, she added, "'This young lady is the vicar's daughter, and she sympathizes with me in the kindest way.' "'Oh, who could help sympathizing with you? Poor Ma was crying all the evening. She and Pa had a long talk, and I know they had high words, for Pa was horribly cross to all of us at supper, and directly after supper he walked out of the house.' "'Does he often go out so late as that?' asked Mr. Coverdale. "'Not once in a blue moon. It was past ten, and dark as pitch, and it was midnight before he came home. I heard him let himself in with his latch-key, for I was too miserable to go to sleep easily, and I was awake very early in the morning, and I heard a good deal of bustle and moving about downstairs. I lay listening, half awake, and half asleep, and then, not long after the clock on the stairs struck seven, I heard a carriage drive to the door, and I got up and looked out the window, and I could just see father and another man huddling, someone wrapped in a cloak into a fly. Could you see what the other man was like? Tall and slight, and that was all I could make out. They were very quick. Father and the stranger both got into the fly, and it drove off directly they were in. When I came down to breakfast, Mother was looking awfully miserable. 
but she wouldn't tell me anything she's too completely under father's thumb to trust any of us we'd finished breakfast before father came home in the fly alone did he not say anything as to where he had been not a word he was crustier than usual and sent us all out of the room before he began breakfast as a rule he takes very little breakfast and then wonders at us for being able to eat so early in the day i am so sorry you should be disappointed lady penrith but perhaps after all the gentleman who left us this morning isn't the person you think i am more than ever convinced that he is that person answered sibyl you are a kind true-hearted girl miss carpew and i rely on you to help me with any further information you may be able to obtain any circumstance that may give a clue to the place where my poor friend has been taken i promise that your kindness to me shall do no injury to your father whatever may happen he shall be protected for your sake so far as i can protect him the chief mover in this cruel business is another person i shall not rest till he is punished ah but i'm afraid if father has done wrong in the matter that it must come all come out sooner or later and we shall all be disgraced said gertrude despondently but whatever is going to happen to us i'll do all i can to find out where they have taken that poor gentleman i thank you with all my heart be assured you shall be compensated for any trouble your kindness may cause sibyl and the parson's daughter clasped hands as they said good-bye the conversation between the two women had been carried on in confidential tones inaudible to coachman and footman ardliston road station ordered mr coverdale and the barouche continued on his way while gertrude started on a circuitous journey through a field and across a common so as to arrive at the vicarage from an opposite direction to that in which lady penrith's carriage had gone i may as well make some inquiries at the station before we can go back to the castle if you've no objection said mr coverdale explaining the order he had just given to the coachman it may make us a little later in returning what does that matter let us stay out all day if there is anything to be done answered sibyl and then lapsed into silence exhausted by the scene at the vicarage and absorbed in gloomy thought she did not speak till they were at the station which was nearer st jude's than it was to ardliston here mr coverdale left the carriage for nearly a quarter of an hour i have seen the station-master and the two porters he told sibyl when he came back there seems no doubt that the two men went to keswick the one who appeared to be an invalid was so wrapped up in an inverness cloak and large white muffler that it was not easy to distinguish his features the men only saw that he looked white and haggard the old other man wore a shooting cap pulled down upon his forehead a cap with a peak and he too had the lower part of his face muffled in a scarf 
but this circumstance attracted no attention as the morning was raw and cold i asked the station-master to describe the man in charge of the invalid his figure and carriage if not his face and he said he was about the height and figure of lord penrith and reminded him of his lordship hubert urquhart exclaimed sibyl that is conclusive now mr coverdale what are we to do go on to keswick i say by the first train that will take us my dear lady penrith that would be a wild proceeding keswick is a large place and for you to be seen there going from pillar to post and then to absent yourself from home without explanation to lord penrith i can send a message by the coachman i can explain afterwards no no it would be a waste of time and trouble for you to attempt to trace these men i will follow up the clue and see what can be done and if i make any discovery before evening i can telegraph you and you can come to keswick with your maid and put up at a hotel for a day or two yes that would do i should be near but even that would be a rather wild thing to do if you could make up your mind to trust this business entirely to me i do trust you i know how much better you are able to help me in this manner than i am able to help myself but when you find him if he should be very ill and broken i should like to be near at hand i might be of some use then in that case i promise to summon you without an hour's delay and will you go to keswick and give yourself up to the search with all my might have i not promised to devote myself to your service i shall think of nothing else till this is done if penrith should inquire about me you need only to say that i had business in keswick and that my return to the castle is uncertain if you'll allow me i'll ask your footman to see about sending me a portmanteau i may be absent for some days how good you are please don't say that only trust me and keep up your courage bear in mind that my east end experiences have made me acquainted with strange people and strange things i am not so unequal to this task as you might suppose i know how clever how resolute you are my train will not leave for half an hour so i had better tell your coachman to drive you home mayn't i wait till you leave please don't you have had a trying morning and you will be better at home he gave his instructions briefly to the footman and then the carriage drove away he watching till the pale anxious face looking back at him vanished altogether from his sight how she must have loved him john coverdale repeated to himself with a sigh end of chapter twenty four